0: Oh dear. Um, so so there's no money and the politicians don't seem to want to talk about it. Well, so, I'll say a bit about where the NHS seems to be at the moment and then how that, that scenario of no extra money may play out as we move towards the election into next year. But at the moment, as our latest quarterly monitoring report underlines, the pessimism amongst finance directors is unremitting. They're pessimistic about this year and then incredibly pessimistic about 2015. And I think, Chris, you mentioned um, the slight belief that um, there's a kind of psychological pessimism common to all finance directors, and we can take this with a pinch of salt. Well, I used to be a finance director in a previous life, and I'm not sure that's right. If you look at actually what happened last year... Many NHS organisations moved quite quickly into deficit, both on the commissioning side but particularly for hospitals. This isn't so much, I think, uh, unreasoning pessimism as for many organisations really quite accurate, quite accurate portrayal of where they are and where they're going. On the performance side, I think there's, there's no part of current NHS performance that looks absolutely terrible. What is odd is that almost across the board performance is weakening. So on 18 weeks, the, the classic target on waiting times, we finally ended the will-it-won't-it debate about whether or not the waiting list will cross 3 million. They burst through 3 million and, and they're still rising. And the target is being delivered by a wafer-thin margin at a time in the year when it really should be being delivered quite easily. The NHS should have a good spring and a good summer and then performance drifts away as you move towards the winter. But that's not true at the moment. On A&E, there was a good winter. There was no winter crisis, nothing, that terrible disaster that Mary mentioned didn't happen. Many people thought that it would. What's odd is we seem to be having a winter going on right through into the summer period, and A&E now for the classic A&E units, what are called type 1 units, the ones associated with big hospitals, are about to hit a full year of not managing to reach the target. It looks like a long winter stretching into spring, again at a time when this should be point that the NHS has a slightly easier time. If you look across some of the other targets, they're all going through the same thing. The diagnostics target is weak. Uh, the waiting list for diagnostics are going up and the waiting times are stretching out and if you look at the cancer targets there's an amazing panoply of targets and standards there's about 20 overall 19 of the 20 got worse if you compare them to this time last year so there's a very very common theme across performance of the NHS slowly going back into retreat if not any one of them looking truly disastrous at the moment and I think this is slightly odd, and I say it's slightly odd, because probably last year the NHS did enjoy significant real-terms growth, and that may come as something of a surprise, given that we didn't have any money. How did that happen? Well, since about 2006, every year the NHS has underspent its budget by, by billions. We don't know the final numbers for last year yet, but we do know that the hospital sector was in deficit. We do know that commissioners were very, very stressed in a previous report from the Fund on productivity and, and the way that productivity is developing, if the NHS did spend its budget last year, it will have run up around somewhere between 2 to 3% real terms growth. I think it's probably safe to say that that's the kind of figures it was dealing with. For the future, we're back to the 0.1% again. And I don't think many people from the NHS in the audience particularly felt last year was a day when the money started to flow again, although in fact, that is exactly what happened. Some of that went on staff, which is great. It's the post-Francis response, and we can see that the number of staff is going up. <coughs> and that then leaves us with something of a, of a conundrum. How is it, if the money was spent and there are more staff, that performance seems to be in retreat? How can this be? It's not that waiting times were coming down, they were going up. I think some of that goes back to the, these problems around underlying demand. If you look at what the NHS managed to deliver last year, it raised the number of admissions to hospital for waiting list treatments for elective care, planned care, for about 3%. That's not shabby. That's pretty good. The problem was GP referrals rose by over 6%. And if you look at A&E at the moment, the growth in admissions through A&E, this isn't a tendency to the people that actually get admitted to hospital, has gone up over 6%. The NHS is running quite fast at the moment. The problem is it's not running quite fast enough. Well, if there isn't more money to come out, how does this begin to play out? Well, I think there are a number, two kind of polar uh, opposites, two scenarios here. One is that we carry on as we're doing at the moment, which is that, that bit by bit the finances drift away. More and more hospitals go into deficits, more commissioners slip into deficit their attempts to try and keep some control of the money mean that the cracks continue to spread on performance, but probably without another winter crisis, there'll be no catastrophic fall-off. But Of course, there is one more winter to go through before we reach the next general election, and so that's a big gamble. The problem with that is is that sooner or later, more organisations going into deficit means that, I'm afraid, for the representatives here from Her Majesty's Treasury, the bill will get presented back to the government. This is not the private sector... If NHS organ- organisations run into deficit, the bill does get paid. It just doesn't get paid straight away. Treasury have to pay off the deficit and then the government has to decide, do we stop this? Do we stop it? Do we put the brakes on as, as was done before in the past and try and bring the finances back under control? Or do you decide to allow the money to go up? Well, the money going up, of course, is what many of us in this audience think should happen. But what happens if it doesn't? How does that play out? Well, I think the real answer, if, if you don't put in the money, goes back to the NHS workforce. It's staff. This is a service industry. If you're not willing to put in extra money, you can make some savings through procurement. Fantastic. There was a very tough deal with the drugs industry. Great. This does bring money back in. But there isn't enough spent on these areas really to balance the books. You go back to the NHS workforce. It's the pay bill. If you give people pay rises, that means there can only be less NHS staff if you wants to balance the books. This has happened before. If you look back to the 1990s, between 1990 and 1999, despite real terms growth, the non-medical workforce stayed roughly the same. And within that period, there were periods there, quite long periods, where the number of staff was significantly cut. Between 90 and 1995, the number of qualified nurses dropped by about 10%. And that was the way the system tried to balance the books. And indeed, until the Francis report came out, we were kind of doing the same. If you look between March 2010 and the two years that followed, the NHS did shrink its workforce, mostly on managers, uh, but not solely on managers. Qualified nurses' numbers did come down, if not tremendously quickly, because that was supported by a pay freeze. And as you look out to the future, with the good news that the economy is picking up, the chances that the NHS will be able to continue to hold down pay, get smaller and smaller and smaller, at least without a recruitment crisis. Shrinking the workforce isn't popular. One of the, you know, how many of us have seen politicians stand up and increasing the size of the workforce is a, it seems to be a goal in itself, reflecting the fact that most of us like our doctors and nurses. So there's one problem there is that you won't be able to afford it. The other one goes back to what we said about performance this year. It's already looking weak, and it's looking weak with quite significant growth in the workforce. How is it that the NHS will then try and maintain performance as the number of its staff begins to fall and the number of treatments, the number of admissions it can handle going through hospital begins to shrink as well? That's where I think the big political question will come out again. There is an issue here about timing, whether or not this hits before the general election or after. Um, it may be that sometime post-May next year we find out that this was the year that the, the budget was balanced, was, was broken rather, and that the political decisions come after the election. That might surprise the electorate if there's not been much of a debate beforehand. I think for the fund where we stand I think it's pretty clear is that there are still efficiencies out there to be made. I think Andy Burnham, I think Jeremy Hunt's view that that some of the opportunities around new technology, some of the opportunities around integrated care are absolutely there. The problem is, to unlock them, you need two things. You need time and you need money and the NHS is desperately short of both at the moment. You can't move to new systems of care immediately, and they don't generate savings immediately. And often you need to do some double running as you develop the new service. You have to keep the old service running. As we can see from the way the money plays out, the NHS can't do that, and most certainly social care can't do it either. That from our side, would still argue for, for something that looks like a transformation fund, something that deals both with some of the pressures on budgets that they are, but more fundamentally and separately that tries to provide the NHS and social care that headroom that they need to develop new services.